0: I'm Henry Standage, and you're listening to the Western Science Speaks Podcast. Every fall, thousands of Atlantic salmon swim upwards back to their spawn grounds in order to return to their eggs. And if you've seen one of these salmon swim, you're not likely to forget it. Weighing in at 26 kilograms and being as long as 3 feet They are the largest breed of salmon, and to all those who've witnessed them in action, creatures of beautiful raw power. But the salmon you see in Lake Ontario waters today aren't native to the region. In fact, Atlantic salmon went extinct in Lake Ontario at the beginning of the 20th century. Today... Atlantic salmon are stocked into Lake Ontario waters every year as part of a restoration effort to reconcile what once was a booming commercial fishery industry in Lake Ontario. Our guest today, Nicole Zathy, is working on this restoration effort, and she joins me on the podcast today. The first thing I want to touch on is that Atlantic salmon were one of the first fish species to disappear from the Great Lakes as a result of human activity. Why is it important that we restore this population?
1: So Atlantic salmon were once native to Lake Ontario. Um, They were only able to make it up there from the Atlantic up through the St. Lawrence Seaway. So originally none of the other Great Lakes had any Atlantic salmon. Due to human activities such as dam construction, um, destroying areas of the shoreline, pollution, overfishing, We've seen drastic declines in their numbers and essentially we have no self-sustaining populations of Atlantic salmon in Lake Ontario anymore. So it's entirely due to human activities that we've removed this species, um, so it's important that we're putting them back into their native area.
0: So man-made obstacles such as dams are making it really difficult for these salmon to swim upstream.
1: Correct, yes. So when they're spawning, they'll migrate upstream and that's when they can jump over small barriers. They'll obviously swim against the current, they'll jump over rocks, but the dams we're building are just way too high for these salmon to jump over. So it creates a barrier for them and they're not able to get to their proper spawning grounds that have um, good substrate for them to lay their eggs.
0: Would you connect this to the industrial revolution and all the mass industry that came with that?
1: Absolutely, and it's also an issue of just having such large populations that want to live by the water. So again, we're also seeing overfishing, we're dumping chemicals into our water, so we have bad water quality now. We're also destroying our wetlands and the shoreline, um, so we're really affecting the more shallow areas of streams, which is, again, where the salmon are spawning. So we'll do things like remove all of the vegetation and all of the rocks on the bottom. So it's just sandy substrate. And that's not great. It's not a great place for them to be laying their eggs.
0: Right. So now I want to talk about animal conservation and restoration projects. They're something we've seen all over the world, particularly in the 21st century. But the track record isn't spotless. Why is restoration possible in the case of Atlantic salmon?
1: So right now we're just having issues with actually restoring these populations. So it's a main goal of the Ministry of Natural Resources and Environment to restore these populations. And we stock millions of them every single year at different life stages. But we're not seeing good numbers of adults coming back up in our streams and reproducing. So we initially have these fish, but they're not able to reproduce on their own. So that's why we're looking at some of the reasons why this may be, and that's part of the work that my lab is doing.
0: Could you take us through the process of this restoration from the moment they're captured?
1: Sure, so we have populations that we're working with that have come um, from throughout the Atlantic. So in my work, I work with three populations, one from Quebec, one from Maine, and one from Nova Scotia. And they're raised in a hatchery setting, so it's an area uh, where fish are grown and we'll spawn these adult fish. So we have a whole bunch of eggs. We'll then raise them to a juvenile life stage. So sometimes it's the fingerling stage, which is where they're approximately the size of your finger, or we'll raise them to a year or a couple years old before we stalk them. The reason we do this is because mortality is really high at early life stages. So especially when they're eggs they have no means to defend themselves right they can't move around they can't hide from predators so there's really high mortality so by stalking them when they're a little bit older they have a greater chance of kind of overcoming some of these obstacles and surviving until adulthood the issue is that again so we're not seeing these salmon coming back to reproduce year after year
0: so talking about your research what have your experiments with salmon been attempting to measure And what have you been able to take away regarding stream swimming?
1: Sure so I'm looking at juvenile Atlantic salmon and I'm looking at both swim performance and temperature preference. So for swim performance I'm looking at two measures I'm looking at burst speed which is similar to a human running a sprint so it's a quick movement and it's anaerobic meaning it doesn't require oxygen. I'm also looking at critical swimming speed which is aerobic and it's similar to a human running a marathon, so it's prolonged swimming. For burst speed, we've seen that regardless of what temperature we raise these salmon at, they always perform the same, and even when we swim them at multiple, multiple temperatures, we still don't see any difference in their performance. I'm currently running critical swim speed trials, so I don't have those data yet, but we expect to see a difference because this movement requires oxygen and at higher temperatures, you'll have less oxygen in the water. So we predict that fish that were raised at these higher temperatures will be able to perform better at these higher temperatures. I'm also looking at temperature preference. So we found that fish that are raised at warmer temperatures prefer warmer temperatures, and fish that are raised at cooler temperatures prefer cooler temperatures. This is important because when we stock these salmon in the streams, they may choose to go to these areas that have either cooler or warmer temperatures, and they may not be the best areas for the salmon based on prey availability or the number of predators in those areas.
0: And it's probably worth mentioning that when you say burst speed, you're measuring acceleration, so how fast they can get away from a predator, and then the other speed you're measuring is more of a marathon, which is for their migration.
1: Correct, and just general long-distance swimming, which they sometimes need to do if they're trying to get to different areas of the stream.
0: And how has this yearly upstream swim in Ontario waters become more challenging?
1: It's becoming more challenging because our streams are heating up every year. So I'm sure everyone's heard about global climate change and we know that our waters are getting a little bit warmer every year. So we're putting additional stress on these salmon. It's already the most stressful part of their entire life stage because they're migrating very long distances and they're fighting strong currents and other barriers, as we mentioned, such as dams, or even logs that have fallen over, jumping over rocks, things like that. So we're really just making it even harder for them to reproduce.
0: Has the spot in which salmon eggs are being stored been affected?
1: Yes, so salmon typically um, return to where they've spawned before, so they have that site fidelity. And the issue is that the salmon aren't able to reach those areas. So again, because we have something like a dam in the way, They're then having to choose areas that are maybe less ideal. um, And the eggs require very specific parameters. So they need to make sure they're getting adequate oxygen. They need to make sure they're sheltered from predators because everyone wants to eat them. So now these salmon are going to areas that are less ideal and then all the eggs are either getting eaten or just dying before they're even able to hatch.
0: How have other fish species been impacted, whether it be positively or negatively, by the salmon restoration?
1: So previous work in my lab has actually looked at the um, direct effects between Atlantic salmon and other salmonids, such as Chinook salmon, coho salmon, and brown trout. And we actually found that Atlantic salmon have no negative effects on any of these species, whereas something like brown trout actually does have a negative effect on Atlantic salmon. In terms of will they have a positive or negative effect, it'll probably be more of a neutral effect that they'll just fit back into the food web they'll obviously um, decline the prey species a little bit but it'll all just balance out in the in the whole picture of things
0: to finish i really want to talk about the collaborative nature of your work when i was doing my research for this interview it became abundantly clear that this was an all hands on deck issue whether it be support from the government animal organizations or other academic institutions It became clear that this was a team effort. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. So there are a whole bunch of organizations that are interested. I think the biggest two are probably uh, the Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters, which I haven't worked with directly, but they've contributed a lot of funds and efforts to this restoration project as well. But I worked much more directly with the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry, so that's a government organization. Um, They are actually the ones that supply me with my eggs and my adult salmon. Um, I worked really closely with them just to learn about fish husbandry, um, and they're always there for technical support. Um, So as I mentioned, it's very important for them to restore fish species. Um, Two of their mandates are one to restore native species in Ontario, and two to support the fisheries. So by stocking Atlantic salmon, they're doing both of these things because quite often we'll stop other fish species such as chinook salmon or coho salmon, which are actually invasive to the Great Lakes, um, but are very popular sport fish.
0: And as a researcher, it must be empowering to kind of be backed up by the government on an issue that you would care about, obviously.
1: Absolutely, and it provides us with a lot of much needed resources, and again, technical ex- expertise that we wouldn't otherwise have. So it's been very beneficial for me and it's allowed me to make a lot of really good connections and a lot of good working relationships with the ministry.
0: Researchers like Nicole do the hard work to try to make sure our homes are as biologically diverse as they were meant to support. You can learn more about what you can do to help at bringbackthesalmon.ca. I'm Henry Standage signing out. Thanks for listening.